This is the last week of our series on the Holy Spirit, Spirit-filled, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to finish it by considering probably the most controversial of the spiritual gifts, which is the gift of speaking in tongues or speaking in languages or other tongues or other languages. So if you've got your Bible, do grab it. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians and chapter 14, 1 Corinthians and chapter 14. I find it quite strange that uh, of all of the expressions of Christian spirituality, from the perspective of someone who's not a Christian, probably, if I was to ask you to draw a spectrum of like all the, all the ways Christians express their spirituality, that a lot of people who are not Christians would probably say that speaking in tongues or speaking in languages was at the very weird end. Um, you know, I said, how bizarre is this Christian practice? You say, well, praying, that's kind of, that's quite normal. I'm used to that. Reading the Bible, yeah, fair enough. Speaking in tongues, whoa, right? That probably goes at the weird end of the spectrum for many people who are not Christian. My friends who I went to university with or who I used to work with in my previous job. Meanwhile, I think a lot of the same people would say, if I said to you, so where would you put the conviction that love is the highest virtue and the most important feature of our character. That who or what you love is the most important thing about you and love is better than all the other things, all the other Christian habits or virtues you could place. Most people on the spectrum would probably say, oh yeah, that's obvious. That's normal, everyone knows that. Love is all you need. They, kindness is everything, love is love. Yeah, of course. And so what I'd probably find is that people would put their convictions about the Christian view of love at one end of the weird spectrum and the gift of speaking in languages at the other end. Yet those two uniquely Christian convictions, the, the supremacy of love and the gift of languages, appear not just in the same letter, not even just in the same chapter, but in the very same verse in this letter that we are about to read. Now it's a verse that also happens to be one, the most popular verse to be read at weddings in this country. So the chances are that some of you, even if you're not Christians, that some of you have had this verse read at your wedding. And the verse goes like this, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy or boast and so on. It's very famous. But the reason Paul wrote it is to help this church who are fixated with the gift of languages or tongues cope with and express it in such a way as to show love to other believers and to those who are not believers. As I say, if you've ever said or written a phrase like love is the greatest or kindness is everything, you have echoed Paul's teaching in these chapters, whether you realized it or not. But Paul's reason for writing it was to help a church handle the reality of speaking in languages in such a way as to love other people. Now, of course, the funny thing about this is that in the ancient world, one of those ideas was very odd and the other one was very normal. But it's the opposite way round to the way they function in our culture. So in the ancient world, ecstatic speech, speaking in a glossolalia sometimes called, to the gods was quite normal. Lots of people did that. And saying that love was the most important virtue would have been like, no, it's not. Love's nowhere near as important as wisdom or justice or courage or whatever it might be. Whereas in our world, the opposite is true. People think speaking in tongues is weird and think it's obvious that love is the greatest of the virtues. What we actually need, the Apostle Paul says, is we need both of these gifts together. We need the gift of tongues to build us up and we need the love of God working in our lives to constrain and motivate and govern the way we use the gift of tongues or languages so that it builds up other people, whether they're Christians or not. 
And that's what chapter 14, the very next chapter after the one I just quoted, is all about. Put simply, we need love languages. We need love languages. We need to know the love of God and we need to have our use of the gift of languages constrained by it. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and beginning at verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. No one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I also bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? You'll just be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my, my spirit prays, but my mind's unfruitful. What am I to do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person isn't being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in a church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind than to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they won't listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecies are a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, won't they say you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's held to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. And each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Jump to verse 39. So my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of God. The question Paul is 
addressing in these chapters is this. How do we use the spiritual gifts to love other people? So in chapter 12, which Andy preached on two weeks ago, Paul showed that the Holy Spirit's powerfully at work in the church. He brings all kinds of very miraculous gifts or very ordinary gifts that enable us to serve one another. We've had lots of stories and testimonies of that happening in the church, of languages and prophecy and healing and miracles, all that stuff happening. And that's what God wants to do in the church. But then in chapter 13, what Paul says is, and that's the chapter you might or may not have had read at your wedding. I did. Many of us probably did. But in that chapter, Paul says, yes, but for all this talk about spiritual, spiritual gifts, the most important thing is actually love. That's the thing that should govern the way that all of these gifts work. That's the true test of spirituality. If you're given the choice between speaking in every language known to man and having love, you should choose love every time and twice on Sundays. Because love is the most important virtue for the Christian. And then what happens, that's in, so chapter 12, spiritual gifts, chapter 13, love, chapter 14 integrates the two. Chapter 14 says, okay, given that the Holy Spirit's powerfully at work in our church with spiritual gifts, and given that love is the most important virtue, how then do we use spiritual gifts in a way as to love our neighbours, our brothers and sisters? And that in this church, that is a particularly pressing problem, by, I mean, by which I mean in the Corinthian church. This is particularly important because from what we can tell, their meetings were a total mess. Now this is a chaotic mess of a church. Tongue speakers are expressing themselves all over the place, often talking over each other without regard for anyone else. No one can hear what they're saying, let alone understand them because they're spoken in other tongues. Unbelievers coming into the meeting look at it all and go, these guys have just gone mad doesn't make any sense. They're all babbling away. No one can hear it. No one can understand it. No one explains what's going on. And those in the church who don't speak in tongues, which 1 Corinthians 12.30 says, not everybody does, right? Some people do, some people don't. And the people who don't then feel really left out and that's causing division in the church and it's causing unbelievers to think these guys are idiots. Now in a setting like that, that kind of messy, chaotic, overhyped spirituality kind of church, you might expect Paul just to write very simply, right, shut, shut it down, guys. Too much fuss. It's causing too much disruption. I'm going to write a letter, very stern letter. The Corinthians, cut it out. No more tongues. It's just too disruptive, not worth the trouble. He doesn't do that. My, my, we, me, my brothers and sisters and I often remember this example of um, we were traveling in the car together and we had this thing. It's going to sound very strange. And my sister, who is a member here, is going to think this is very odd. Uh, it's going to be slightly embarrassed by this and you're going to think she's odd. But we had this habit called wadging in my family, which is basically a very sharp pinch where possible close to a gland to cause high pain to another member of the family when they were being annoying. And we called it wadging for reasons that I won't go into now and you wouldn't believe if I told you. But my dad got really annoyed. We'd all be in the car. We'd all be wadging each other. Loads of noise. Four kids. Mum and dad. So six of us in the car. Really raucous. And dad just got so fed up. He was driving. Like, stop it, children. Stop it. Stop it children, children. And then it, there was one famous moment where he went, right, that's it. The word wadging is now banned until Christmas. And we all fell about laughing, thought it was just extraordinary to try and ban a word until Christmas. And it wasn't the most effective moment of family discipline at that point. Um, and we still wedge each other to this day. And I'm 45. But I would have expected Paul in some ways to do something like that. Right, Corinthians, okay, we're done. Ban, okay, the word tongues is now banned until Pentecost. No more tongues. Cut it out. And you could see why someone would want to do that and why many of us might even feel, I've seen spiritual gifts run amok I think the, the safest thing to do is just to shut them all down. But that's not what Paul does at all. 
In fact, Paul repeatedly praises the gift in this chapter and urges them to speak up. He says multiple times, verse one, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire the gifts, including tongues, miracles, all that. Seek it, run after it. Zelote means like kind of zealously pursue. He says, go after them, go after them, especially prophecy. Chapter, uh, chapter 14 and verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Verse five, now I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. He's doing the opposite of my dad. My dad's going, no, stop it, cut it out. He's going, no, I actually want you to do this. I want you to do it constrained by love, as we'll talk about in a moment, but I want you to do it. I want you to speak up. Verse 18, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. That is not something you say if you're trying to throw a blanket over the gift of tongues. He says, no, I want this for you. I want it for me and I do it all the time. There's a but coming and about how you use it, but this is something Paul is passionate about. Verse 39, as he concludes the chapter. So earnestly desire to prophesy and don't forbid, don't ban speaking in tongues. So over and over again, Paul makes it clear that he wants us to continue to use this gift. And there's of course plenty of parts of the Christian church today where they say, no, we don't do that for various reasons. Some of them more convincing than others. But Paul is, I think, very clear. He says, this is not something you should ban. This is something we should pursue, but we should pursue it mindful of others in the community and others in the church. But Paul knows that languages are a gift from God by the Spirit. He knows from personal experience that praying in tongues edifies you. It builds himself up. So he doesn't stop them. What he does is to teach the Corinthians how to use them lovingly. So he says, you've got to speak up. And to use the languages lovingly is not just to speak up, you need to speak in such a way as to build up. And that in many ways is the heart of what he's doing in the first half of this chapter at least. You, you've got to speak up, you've got to use the gift, but I want you to do it in such a way as to build up and not just build you up, because that's what speaking in tongues does, but to build others up. Verses two to five. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God for no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. That's Paul's passion. He's saying, you, you got the choice of speaking in tongues in the church or prophesying in the church. Pick prophecy, unless someone interprets, in which case, fine. But pick prophecy because then everyone understands it and you build up others. And that should be your heart when you're in the church. Now for you, as a person, as an individual Christian, speaking in languages is wonderful. You can just be having a wonderful time. You're having a wonderful time communing with God. But for everyone else, it's gobbledygook. It doesn't mean anything unless it's interpreted. Verse eight, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? You know, if the noise is supposed to go, but instead it goes, that it doesn't give anybody any sense of revelation or illumination or clarity at all. And effectively what Paul is saying is when you speak in tongues on loop in the church and no one understands what you're saying and it's not interpreted, it's like as if people were supposed to be marching out to battle and the person with the horn had gone <laughs> No good to anybody. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. There's that term again. Build up. Use the gifts you've got to build everybody up. And part of how you do that, part of how you use this gift of languages, 
in the church is to, in, in such a way as to build others up, is to look for the interpretation, to pray that you might interpret your own language, your own gift of tongues. Verse 13, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Now, I'm just making a, I've been in charismatic churches for 30 odd years. I think this is one of the least observed verses in the New Testament. I've never quite worked out why, but there's lots and lots of charismatic churches I've been to where people say, we love the gift of tongues, and they don't do this. What Paul specifically says is, if you speak in a tongue in the church, you should pray even before or while you're doing it that you might also have the power to interpret it so that you haven't just sort of gone off on one in tongues and then walked off and left the meeting leader in charge of sorting it out or whatever. You should pray that you have the interpretation yourself. It doesn't mean no one else ever will because that often happens by God's grace, but it means you should be praying that you do because your job, your goal is to try and edify the church. That's what he says in verse 13. And I've seen this often in churches where people almost could walk to the front, say something in tongues and walk off. I call it dropping the T-bomb. And then they just walk off and they kind of leave the person in charge going, what do we do? We've now just got to wait until someone else comes along with the interpretation, which sometimes, as I say, by God's grace, they do. And sometimes there's a long, awkward pause. And Paul's saying, no, you should pray that you have that interpretation. Doesn't mean you never do it unless you do, but it does mean that's, that's the norm that you should be expecting God's going to speak through you. Now, you might say, but hang on a second, how do, I, how do I do that? I don't know what the tongue means, to which Paul says, well, then you're doing it wrong. This is what he says in verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what am I to do? Well, I will pray with my spirit and I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Do you see, if you, if you are praying in tongues without thinking about the meaning of what you're praying, your mind doesn't get anywhere. So Paul says, so make sure you do that. Make sure your mind does engage, that as you're speaking in tongues, your mind is also celebrating and wondering at God and praising him and calling on him. So if, while you pray in tongues with your spirit, you should also be praying in tongues with your mind. So, and, and part of what you're praying for is actually, Lord, I pray that if I'm going to do this publicly, you would help illuminate and interpret what I'm saying so I can tell everyone what I've just seen and what I've just prayed and they can say amen. If you don't do that, then once again, it, it won't strengthen others. Verse 17, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person isn't being built up. But if you do pray that you may interpret and then interpret your own tongue, then you'll be able to edify your brothers and sisters in the church by explaining what it means. Verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, Paul says. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And that doesn't, as I said, that doesn't mean you always must interpret your own tongue. Don't hear me as saying, if, if, if anybody ever does that and doesn't interpret their own tongue, they're sinning. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the gift of interpretation is a gift in its own right, as you can see in these chapters. But it does mean that we should always be prepared to and actually not just prepared to, but asking God that we may provide an interpretation of what we've said if we use the gift publicly. Because we want to build up. So we want to speak up because that edifies us, but we also want to build up in the way we use the gift, build up our brothers and sisters in the wider church. So we need to speak up and we need to use languages to build up. And then thirdly, we need to grow up. And this is where Paul goes next in quite a direct passage actually. Verse 20, brothers and sisters, don't be children in your thinking. 
Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In other words, grow up. There is something childish about using your gifts selfishly or to show off. We need to grow up. We need to mature. Hearing foreign languages, Paul says, when you hear, in the Old Testament, this happens quite a lot, particularly in the prophet Isaiah. When people hear, when the Jews hear people speaking in foreign languages about the things of God, it serves as a sign of judgment on them. And Paul, is, Paul quotes that passage in verses 21 to 22. And he says, well, speaking in tongues is like a sign of judgment on those who don't believe. But that doesn't do them much good. We, we aren't speaking in tongues to communicate to unbelievers you don't understand. We actually want unbelievers to understand. There's plenty of unbelievers here right now listening to me. We want people to understand what God has done for them. We want them to know God made you. God loves you. You've sinned even by your own standards, but God has come in Christ to rescue you from sin and death that you might have union with him forever. We want people to know that. So actually speaking in tongues which they don't understand is not very helpful. And instead, what we need to do is to speak in ways they do understand. So verse 23 says, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, which praise God happens every week in this church, won't they say you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he will worship God and declare God's really among you, as Joe showed us last week. So all piling in with the gift of languages all at once might be very nice for you. It might build you up, but it doesn't edify the church, build up, and it doesn't make any sense to unbelievers, so you need to grow up. You need to grow up into maturity. And with maturity comes the ability to control yourself. This is what happens as we age, isn't it? When you're very, very little, you can't control your anything about yourself. can't control whether you're swallowing or being sick or whether you're going to the toilet. Or you can't, and as you grow, you gain a degree of control or mastery over yourself. And so one of the ways the Corinthians need to grow up is by exercising some self-control over the use of the gift. And this is what he says in verse 26. When you come together, each one has a hymn, lesson, revelation, tongue, interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. So not too many, not all at once, not without explanation. But if there's no one to interpret, let them each of them keep silent in the church and speak to, themselves, speak to himself and to God. So Paul is trying to help guide people into maturity and say, you can do, you can choose whether to speak or not. This is a really good gift. It's something to pursue, it's something to seek, but it's not something to just do for your own benefit in the public gathered setting. So we need to grow up rather than being immature. And we need to use the gift of languages to build up rather than rambling on for our own benefit without thinking of others. But let's finish by going back to the beginning. We also need to speak up. Now, I think there's a lot of churches in which Paul might issue this, write this letter, and it might be, yeah, you really need to grow up. This is just chaos. Your meetings are full of tongues, shouting off for hours and hours. No one understands it. But I think there's another challenge which Paul might write to other churches, and he might say, this is something some of you are not using at all. Because you're not, rightly, you're not wanting to do it publicly for hours and hours on Sundays, but the problem is you're not using it on your own either. And so when Paul says, I thank God I speak in languages more than all of you, my challenge, or I want to challenge us really at the end of this message is to say, are you doing that? If you've been given the gift of languages, are you using it to edify yourself? Because the gift of languages is given by the Spirit so you can build yourself up. The gift of interpretation and prophecy are given so you can build other people up, whether they're Christians or not. So we need to speak up. 
right? If you've got the gift of prophecy, do it to serve your brothers and sisters. If you've got the gift of languages, do it to edify yourself in prayer for a long time at once, if need be, but calling out to God and finding that words that you don't even have, the concepts you don't have the words for can edify you as you're praying. Because this is actually part of New Testament Christianity all the way through. On the day of Pentecost, people spoke in other languages. In the vision of heaven, in Revelation, people are speaking in all kinds of languages from every tribe and language and nation. Even the cross spoke in tongues with words above it written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. God the Father wants the work of his Son to be praised in every language by the Spirit. So let's do what Paul says in verse 1 and eagerly desire spiritual gifts in order that we and others may be built up and grow up into the likeness of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful gift. Lord, we want to use it well. We want to use it lovingly of one another, of those who don't know you, who are amongst us even now. We want to use this gift out of love. But Lord, we thank you for the gift of being able to speak in languages of men and of angels and find that we are strengthened. And I pray, Lord, that as we move to a time of response and as we lay hands on one another and ask for your spirit to come, you would grant this gift to many. You would fan it into flame for many who have let it go cold and that you would cause all of us to build ourselves and one another up as we minister to each other in the spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.